Yeah, you, you've been COVID in COVID stuff? lockdown, man. Yeah. yeah. You had huge COVID stuff. You're infected. <laughs> <laughs> Made it all the way through 2020 and 21 without any symptoms of COVID. And then in the last little bit, the Bam. whole family gets it. Yeah. In fact, we're actually recording uh, this podcast after it's supposed to be released because of all of this. And Rob, you and your family has just been hit too, huh? Yeah. Our two older girls had it two weeks ago and then Michelle came up positive about three days ago. <sighs> so it's really hard. So far I've tested negative. I'm going to test again tonight. So anyone who's listening to this, your prayers are appreciated. Indeed. And it's, uh, it's going to be, it gives me hope to think that there's going to be a day where I'll come back and listen to this for posterity's sake, just to remember what the conversations were like. And we'll be looking back going, remember what it was like when there was a pandemic, man, right. it's been so nice the last three years to not have that going on. Uh, well, if that's you or whether you're right in the middle of COVID and you're hearing this right after it's dropped, this is a, uh, kind of a, a bonus episode in season four here. We've been talking about some trends we want to see in disciple making coming our way. And a couple of weeks ago, Kevin Harris, Carrie Latticer, and Will Mancini joined me to have this conversation about loving our enemies and how loving our enemies needs to become greater than unfriending uh, our enemies. We're seeing an awful lot of unfriending on social media, cancel culture, mm-hmm. things like that. And that kind mm-hmm. of practice just goes completely contrary to the modeling and the teaching of Jesus that says, you know, love your, love your enemies. So what we've been doing is just taking the discipline of after those podcasts. I can't out, take any more of this. I'm getting <clears throat> off Zoom. I'm done. You're done? Bye. <laughs> I don't like your ideas at all. I can't say the theme of this podcast. I hate it. <laughs> That's what we need right there. Let's let's walk through this uh, powerful conversation, and uh, we're choosing. I thought it was stupid. (laughs) All right, well, I'm done. I'm walking right out of here. (laughs) Asking two questions: What challenged us the most, and uh, what changes need to be made at Disciples Made in order to uh, best, you know, grow from? Uh, what we've heard here. So what stands out? You know, I thought Carrie's observation about calling out, sometimes it's appropriate Mm. to name something. In fact, I was listening to uh, Julie Roy's podcast. She was an investigative reporter and now she has a podcast that sort of wants to highlight um, in the church where corruption, you know, has infected and she talked about oh, oh, uh, last week, you know, how the scriptures actually say if someone's an elder, you should actually publicly call them out, which I thought was interesting, you know, but that, but what's happened is, you know, with the multiplication of social media, the calling out just seems like this constant warfare. And mm-hmm. she talked about um, Jesus wanting to call people in, like loving your enemy. That's powerful. Um and what made me think about was, you know, Brian, you and I both have uh, undergrad psych degrees and that uh, Rorschach test um, that was used to basically, uh, you know, you put a blob out there and then supposedly that would reveal something about your 
viewpoint into the world. And it seems like for the last couple of years, especially like every month or every week, there's another major cultural moment. Um, and they're operating like a massive Rorschach test within evangelicalism. And it's revealing all these different tribes within evangelical evangelicalism. And, yeah. uh, and they're having very, very interpret very different interpretations of the same moment. And, uh, and it's turned into kind of this fracturing of the American evangelical movement. And, mm. and it isn't a long, like what the usual line lines were in the past. It doesn't seem to really be about theological differences per se. Although it may be at the tectonic level, it seems more like cultural issues and how people are interpreting these events. It's not about is Jesus is Lord, you know, it's about right. here's what I think George Floyd means. You know what I mean? Hmm. And, uh, and if we keep a culture of just constantly calling out with no calling in, I just think the fracturing is going to continue. And I think the only way you can call in though, is through personal relationship and investment. So it's, it's something you have to do at the local level. You know, you have to be willing to engage meaningfully people that you might have radically different views on certain, let's say, cultural moments, but you know, you share Jesus as Lord. And it made me think about how do we, how do we help that happen? You know, and I'd like to think that in a followers made or a leaders made or a missionaries made that that is a relational environment where that could happen. You know, it can't happen in a large room as you're preaching and more and more people just want the, they don't want the preacher just to preach the gospel. They also want them to preach whatever their news channel is. So if I'm CNBC, I want my preacher lean in CNBC, or if it's Fox, I want him him or her preaching, you know, Fox too. You know what I mean? Uh, It's, it's, it's kind of, kind of scary. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you, Rob. And we so it, and that was on the podcast an awful lot. We have to model it. We have to start by modeling it. We have to actually do it. I love one of our uh, core values is, is here. Disciples made is timely candor, mm-hmm. open and honest communication in a timely and gracious manner. Timely meaning we can't let things go by, but gracious too. It's not a calling out. It is a calling in. It's a help me understand, and uh, create. You know every experience we have invites that type of accountability and support uh you know basically a begging of other people call me out where i need calling out <laughs> yes but do it in a way that's gracious and, and love filled brian you had some observations about this whole thing as far as just the nature of enemies what was uh what was your takeaway there yeah i hope my audio is decent because we're in the middle of this pandemic as you mentioned and uh Sometimes technology doesn't work. So I'm on my, sorry about that. Um, so if I repeat something that you guys have said, I'm sorry for bailing out of the room and being back and forth, but as I listened to the podcast, I think one of the first things that stood out to me, I'm always trying to take notes and, uh, I was just typing down that, you know, I read, the the title of the podcast and I had enemy in my mind. I had someone completely other. 
someone that is quote unquote opposite. I didn't have like a necessarily a face that's my enemy, but like somebody outside my sphere, right? Like I shouldn't unfriend, I shouldn't cancel them. Uh, and in some ways, like it, it felt ironic because the the longer the conversation went on, the more it felt like we were actually talking about unity within the body of Christ. And I was mm. like, wait, a mm. how did we go from not canceling or unfriending our enemy to apparently all of my enemies are people in my family <laughs> that think differently than I do. Like we've made enemies within the family of God. This is no, this is not where we should be. Um, yeah. So I had to just kind of process that and go, man, like that, that's not, that's definitely not John 17. Right. What was praying if we're talking about how do we not cancel our family members, which might've been a better title. To the podcast. <laughs> and, I mean, I'm, and I know several people that have literal family members they've canceled That's true. <clears throat> over things like this. Kind of crazy. I loved what uh, Will Mancini mentioned when he was talking about measuring the unity of a church family uh, more than just the numbers of a growing church family. Yeah, how how would I was wondering how would you practically measure that? I don't know. I mean, you know, I was like, that is a powerful statement. What would that look like? I don't know. I don't know, but <clears throat> when it comes back to just what does this mean for us here at Disciples Made, would you say that there is more of a leaning toward listening to a different opinion or protecting from a different opinion just when it comes to the interactions because uh, you guys have been watching uh, me and uh, hanging with me and uh, around the different things that we've done at different places around the country trainings webinars blah 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 what would you say has has been the disposition uh, inside our conversations and with people that we've observed each other having with others well, like I said earlier in the podcast, I, I do think the relational environments that get created in the intentional disciple-making environments, especially because we're practicing uh, that triad space where over weeks and months, people are learning um, like appropriate vulnerability, transparency, risk-taking, we're creating that place where they begin to practice mutual submission and building joy. And I think those are the, the reps that people need uh, to be able to engage a conversation with someone who disagrees with them. Because what's happening is if I don't know how to return to Shalom, if I don't know how to quiet myself, if I don't know how to get out of like the, that like, out of my amygdala, you know, my reptilian response. <laughs> and those are Fire the things flight. that you learn in a triad, you learn in your time alone with God. Like those things are actually extraordinarily practical when it comes to being able to have difficult conversations. Yes. And most people don't have any place to practice those kind of relational and emotional skills, you know? And so that's why there's just constant, a cycle of conflict mm. and hatred and backlash and then rinse and repeat over and over and over again 
and you can't really have, it's very difficult to have those conversations on social media. Um, oh, or impossible. Yeah. Or, or impossible. I've seen some pretty amazing attempts recently, actually. I was looking at a comment thread and a pretty controversial post between uh, Carrie and another church leader. And I was like, wow, that was pretty amazing. She hmm. did an amazing job. She is um, capable of that. But I also thought she had to have put like an hour or two into this conversation. You know, I was like, that's so it, it's still a super high commitment. That's the thing I that maybe is most challenging. If you're going to have those conversations, you have to slow down. Mm. Oh, yeah. You know, and humanize the other person rather than dehumanize them, you mm. know, like hold them like Jesus looked at the rich young ruler, you have to behold them. It says he beheld him. You know, Jesus is looking beyond the surface and like humanizing him, despite the fact that he's like arrogant and rich and thinks he's better than everybody else. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't put him in a category and say, you're one of those. Right. He didn't, you know, Yeah. he looked through that, you know, so interesting yeah so i that's what i think dm creates environments where people actually learn how to do that which is the reps yeah to be which is pretty amazing yeah i think the social piece that you're mentioning is really important with the the digital presence and where we are because of how you can create the persona uh and you can easily create an other when you can't uh, touch them experience them and so like it's dangerous to create others and create those narratives in your mind and those frameworks of who fits in the other. I mean, it's a, it's a natural human response, I think, because of our clearly, as you mentioned that, that formation piece, but um, I, I, I think that I've walked away from so much social media lately and just deactivated most of it. Well, I guess all of it. Um, and just trying to be more in the physical presence because of what it's demanding of me. Um, just mentally, like the engagement, even with my kids, being present with them. Um, and the, the proximity piece, I started a book called Subversive Witness, Rob. I know you've read it. And it's uh, just talking about our um, our our privileges that we're born into. Um, he talks about, he, he describes it as our privileges are stackable. So you can have certain privileges that are uh, being male, being white, being whatever, like you can stack those. Some of those you can choose to lay down. Some of them you can't, you can't walk away from, you know, the way certain, certain of those privileges and just the way that he's uh, pulled it apart and said, um, that it's not a sin. We just have to understand those things, right? Like that they're Mm -hmm. just, and it becomes, how do we use that privilege for the joy of the other? Mm -hmm. Uh, But I was listening to a a story just recently in the book, and he's talking about Moses and the way that Moses's mom hides him and the way that, um, Pharaoh's daughter would have been raised and bred and, you know, psychological, like reinforcement of Hebrews are evil. I mean, Pharaoh was trying mm. to cancel, right? I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> literally trying to cancel. And, uh, and so, you know, by divine providence, Pharaoh's little, Moses' little raft ends up where Pharaoh's daughter is. 
And when she pulls this baby out, everything in her, he says that, you know, it's like everything in her would have been to, you know, to use this language, cancel this baby. But Mm. the way that he says it was once again, proximity wins or something like that. You know, Mm. it was, oh man, just that, that line of once again, proximity, like trumps the ability or the psychological narrative or all those things. And it's just like, man, I think that, you know, it's difficult. In in some ways, it's like, I think the ramp up over the last couple of years with the cancel culture, with all of this stuff is because we have been forcibly, and I'm not pointing fingers and saying that, you know, this is a political, that's not what I mean. Like because of a pandemic, because of fears, because of whatever, we've been forcefully removed from one another. Mm -hmm. And because we have lost a lot of proximity and we've built up other structures in place, it's like, it's so much easier to create those, those false narratives and those things that we don't know are true, but we reinforce anyway, because we're not close enough to someone to prove that they're not true. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I don't think yeah. I'm answering your question about DM, but man, I just like had to verbally get all that out. So I could go, yeah, that's like, you know, I, it's a, I think in a way, in a way you are, um, <clears throat> if you remember toward the end there, it was Kevin, who said, you know, take somebody and get some donuts, <laughs> get some ice cream, yet be proximate. He said we were kind of, uh, we were failing yeah, we in the being proximate and failing in our biblical knowledge to bring to those proximate relationships to govern the way we speak to one another. I thought that was pretty good. And, and yeah, I love, I love that we've got the reps that are going on there. Um, those are kind of like, if you're familiar with the business terms, precipitating indicators and lagging indicators or leading indicators and lagging indicators. Uh, Rob, I want to go back to this because we left this one, this switch undone. How do we measure unity in a family? Hmm. You know, we know how to measure the numbers, the nickels and noses and things like that, but how do you measure the unity? Those would be lagging indicators, but we're really going after the more um, leading indicators. What are the things we can do to minimize the chances or to maximize the chances we would get good results if we could somehow measure it, which is, which I really do love, but any thoughts on how to measure that before we take off this one and go to one or two other things we took away? Yeah. I, I, I don't, here's where, this is what I go back to before I measure it. I think the challenge is, you know, what are the cultural expectations of the faith community I'm leading? So let, let me give you an example. Um, most faith communities have a, um, like a faith statement, you know, that has maybe 12 or 18 statements. And then underneath it, um, in many faith communities, there there's actually quite a bit of theological minutia that you're agreeing to. And then um, the pastor is often seen their primary role is to be like the guardian of that and the propagator of that. What we've tried to do in the Kansas City Underground is we've said, okay, we're going to agree to the Apostles' Creed. Hmm. Not everybody's comfortable with that. Some people feel like that is way too loose. Right. 
and, and I respect them. Um, it has, on the other hand, served the church well for a very, very long time. Um, so the reason I bring that up is um, if you create a culture that is about agreement on minutia with the primary role of the leadership being guardianship and propagation of that. Whew. It's going to be hard to have a generous conversation with people. Um, yeah, because your identity is how you're differentiated. Yeah. And I think that's part of the challenge is, you know, with the evangelical church in America, there's so, so many denominations and the identity is about all those uh, minute distinctions. <laughs> um, and so uh, at the same time, I do see a movement um, where there's more and more generous orthodoxy, where I think we are being absolutely faithful to the gospel and the witness of the scriptures. Um, like, for example, you know, I work with New Thing here and then New you know, new thing here in Kansas City is a network of churches that's working cross-denominationally mm -hmm. because we agree about the Jesus mission to make disciples, reproducing disciples, churches, and networks thereof. I see a lot more of that, which I think is super encouraging. So I guess if we're going to measure unity, I think... Um, one of the things that you'd have to measure and I don't know how you do this is like, can we, um, you know, how much joy and kindness and shalom can we share with someone that I have a disagreement with? I don't know how you measure that. I feel like I'm being completely useless in the, <laughs> <laughs> like for me, it's like, we had one, for example, just an ex example from the underground. Like we had people in the underground who were, everybody's got to get vaccinated all the way, double mask. We had other people in the underground that um, felt like this was too controlling. It was um, crossing boundaries of freedom that shouldn't be crossed. And, and one of the things I'm happy about is there was very, very, very little, almost no collateral damage to the Kansas City Underground through this whole thing. Mm. And I think it's because we've like, okay, we're building this around the Apostles' Creed and the manifesto and the mission of filling Kansas City with beauty, justice, and good news. And like the people were, were so, we were so clear about that invitation and have continued to, that even, even though people felt really energized around those issues, they knew it was like, this is secondary or tertiary. It's not it's not central to our life together. And then because we operate as a decentralized network, it allows for that kind of um, freedom where it's like, I don't need everyone in the underground to agree on this. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have a personal opinion, but even I, I'm not like speaking for the underground that everyone has to have this X, you know what I mean? Right. Belief right. on vaccines. Perhaps that is one of those, the primary indicators of, uh, of measurement is, 
we've navigated this many conflicts without any significant collateral damage. <laughs> oh, look at Brian Phipps. You know, that's pretty good. <laughs> it's just the kind of stuff there, you know. Yeah, that's right. You I'd... put something in the chat, man. You should bring that up. That's good. Well, I don't want to take us too far, but my comment was just in light of this whole conversation. Um, stop building fences and start digging wells. And it's that uh, bounded set, centered set conversation. We may have even had it on this podcast before of just, you know, if you build fences, people typically go to the edge and, and try to see how far they can go. What's my boundary? Is this too far? Is this too far? Right. That's why you have Pharisees because they're seeing the law and saying, I'm going to make sure we don't break that law. Let's make another law. And if we hold to the one way back here, we won't break the one that's out there. Um, but when you pull down the fences and you dig wells, so it's a rancher kind of metaphor there, right? Like some ranchers build fences and their cattle go to the edge and figure out where the boundaries are. But if you look at a certain type of ranching where it's more of a, a, a barren land and uh, you don't have like the Australian outback, I think is what people use where it's like, they don't build fences, they dig wells and their cattle may wander, but they always come back to the center. They never wander far. And I think, you know, that's what you're saying with the apostles creed, the manifesto, uh, the Lasan covenant. It's like, we created a well that, you know, you can explore like the greater, uh, broader context of faith, but there's always these things that bring us back to the center and hold us together. And I think even in just in general relationships, it's like, you know, stop building fences that keep people out. I can't have a relationship with you because I built this fence, but like dig wells, what pulls you together, celebrate mm -hmm. what does pull you together. And I think that, uh, you know, let that be the foundation of our relationships rather than, uh, the fences that we build, it may seem safer, but in the end, it just makes us lonely. Big time. If Jesus is for us, we should be for one another seems to me. And, uh, I mean, if he's always going to be a balm and an asset, <clears throat> then we should be the same for others. Uh, man, I just love that. So we talked about Carrie's, uh, calling in, as uh, opposed to calling out, we do want to call things, uh, but we want to invite people in. Um, you talked about kind of uh, the, the, the measurement and a family of unity over just the number of participants. What else was there? I've got a couple here. I want to hear from y'all first. I want to hear from you. I felt like Brian and I have done all the talking. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, 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 <laughs> I definitely had those two. My, the other one was uh, something that Carrie said. She said, uh, the gospel does heal, but it doesn't heal instantaneously. It doesn't make us uh, automatically conflict, you know, ready in a way that uh, would be healing. And uh, it just made me think, you know, um, there's, there's so much healing that needs to be done, particularly in light of this type of stuff. I mean, the, the psychology degree that I got wasn't just an undergrad, got a master's degree in counseling. And if all you have is you're either in or out, you don't really have a strong ability to connect. 
like uh, it's called that the, the separation stuff between a mom and a kid, uh, the differentiation phases that a kid has to go through. If that's not a healthy separation, you don't really know how uh, to, to do this well. People are either in your life all the way or completely out of your life. And that's a very unhealthy way um, to live. And, and uh, the more that culture does this, the more we're going to feel it internally as people, particularly younger people. Uh, so I'm just wondering if there isn't, if this isn't kind of a call to disciples made to not just have higher level discipleship experiences, but to start at a healing uh, phase. You know, we talk about explore, develop, influence a lot as far as a strategy to help people grow, but we don't have really like a, a lifelines right. uh, re repertoire of you know, emotional healing, something similar to emotionally healthy spirituality or emotional intelligence or, you know, things like that. So it just made me wonder, like, where would that fit at some point one day? And, and perhaps might it be the most important thing uh, That's in the huge, wake of brother. what's going on? Well, I think it can fit into any, any of the triad training. Totally. You know, like we, we created a thing in the underground called maturity on mission that tries to teach those skills. And it's now been turned into even um, like a, a 90 day journey. And there's um, you kind of, you focus in phases on these different skill sets of, so we use Sav as an acrostic of like shalom. How do I build shalom in terms of my own spirit, but also in relationship appreciation? How do I start with appreciation to see someone the way that Jesus do, does? The V is validate. So validate is like I'm in solidarity with you in every way I can be. Like I see you, I hear you, I understand. Mm -hmm. You know, starting there. Uh, the L is like listen to your body. So teaching people. Like, how do you actually um, pay attention to, uh, like, when your your heart rate's going up, your adrenaline's starting to rush, you know, like your body's giving you cues and you need to pay attention to those mm, and respond huge. rather than let it control you. You know what I mean? And the last one is like emotion maturity. And that one's about using the simple framework of like infant, child, young adult, parent, and elder. And beginning to realize like, oh no, I am acting like a child. <laughs> yeah. I'm literally acting like a seven-year-old little boy right now. <laughs> Whoops. Because <laughs> there's mm. no emotional pituitary gland. I'm not going to grow up unless I let Jesus help me grow up and work it out with some other people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I agree, man. That's something we could probably intentionally work on. I, I think you do that personally. And intuitively, I've seen you do that in every group that you lead. I've seen you do it with us. For sure. You know? For sure. I think it's big. I think it's big. I think uh, the last thing um, that I took away is, you know, there was just a repeated emphasis on we've got to model it. The leaders have to model it. Um, the, apparently, there's, and we were asking specifically, like, what are the obstacles getting in the way? And they kept coming back to, leaders that refuse to to model it and to uh, call people in to it and uh even perhaps using some of these things that uh that alienate us as uh, invitation points to try to grow a church we'll i think uh, uh teetered on actually saying we'll leverage some of these things 
you know, to be the echo chamber is kind of a marketing tool to kind of get people in tired of having your church tell you whether you can wear a mask or not come to ours. We'll never have masks or something like that. I don't know. Um, just like, um, there's only one source of good news <laughs> and his name is Jesus. And, uh, he's not a clear and easy path to a lesser way. Um, he said that he wants us to have both truth and love hmm. working together. And if one has to be a Trump, and that probably wasn't the best word to use right there. If one has to stand, you know, as far as a fractured world, um, if one has to be king at the time, it has to be love. That's a, that's interesting, you know, mm -hmm. and I, so I just, I, and I say all that to say, what can we do with disciples made? We can never, never surrender the very best goal we're after which is the mm. image of Christ, life in Christ, identity in Christ, healing and recovery through Christ, becoming fully alive in character and calling as the spirit transforms us. And that's the only goal we have. Right. There's no other goal that's, that's even close uh, to that. And people need the truth. And there's some really hard truths that you, that you could be canceled for, for proclaiming. Uh, you are not your own God. You are not sinless. You are selfish. You are, I mean, all the things, there's some really hard truths of the gospel. Uh, but those truths are necessary for us to come face to face with who we are. And the beautiful thing is Jesus already knows all those things about us. And as soon as we kind of come to terms with them the way he does, that's when the healing and the transformation starts. So, Amen. Uh, but those truths are for us, not against us. And uh, just, I, I'll just make my radical commitment to that will be, there will be no secondary challenges uh, to that goal in this organization ever. Amen. Amen. I, I don't go all the way to who was it that Spurgeon said, if, 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 uh, if people are telling you nice sermon, you're doing it wrong or something like that. <clears throat> it's like, I'm not here to make enemies with what I'm trying to say, but the gospel clearly presented does, does not always feel great. When mm -hmm. you are called in by Jesus, I feel like that kind of like being called into the principal's office, <laughs> you know, it's going to be a challenge, mm -hmm. but you always know because of the nature of that principle, so to speak, that whatever you hear is going to ultimately be good. And I can't cancel that. If I do, I cancel it to my own device. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I welcome that being called in. Well, boys, anything else before we sign off? No, I'm grateful that uh, this platform's been created for uh, that conversation. Yeah, I, I love you. <laughs> I love you too, buddy. Uh, and this, this really does set the stage for next week's too. look forward to this one. This one's going to be uh, the trend is unity and mission becoming greater than theological or political opposition. So it's a, it's a similar theme, but how do we go for this unity and mission uh, being greater than theological or position, uh, political opposition? Uh, the one and only JD Greer actually joined us uh, for oh. this last minute. And boy, he does nice. a great job talking about a guy who actually uh, sitting at the kind of in the point uh, chair for the Southern Baptist 
convention for a few years and dealing with all the the, the fractured um, relationships and whatnot in there to sit in that position and to and to try to navigate some of that must have been a challenge. So he did have a lot of wisdom to share. I bet, man. He's been through it. He's been yeah. through it. And he's still smiling, still loves Jesus, his church, and all the people in it. So uh, <laughs> he's a testament to that. So we'll appreciate you, friends. We'll see you next time on the Disciples Made Podcast. <laughs>